Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor.
And good morning. This is the B. And you're on Labor and Love Radio every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 here at Mutiny Radio in the heart of the San Francisco's Mission District, El Mero Mero. My name is Bill Morgan, and I'm called the B. And we're here to remind you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. We're here to remind you that if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And we're here to remind you never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Well, fellow Americans, <laughs> things get keep getting, as Alice would say, curiouser and curiouser. Mr. Trump has the virus. We don't want anyone to be sick. We don't want anyone to be at risk of dying from this virus. But it's hard to ignore the fact that Mr. Trump is acting out a Greek tragedy. His flaw, the things that undoes all his work, all the things he wants to accomplish, is his arrogance, his very art of bullshitting us. He thinks that if you come out and tell somebody something that you want, they want to hear, they'll believe it. And a lot of people do believe it. Mr. Trump is still probably popular within a certain uh, segment of the population. People who will vote for him because of who he is, not of what he believes. He doesn't believe anything. He's a, a can-do person. We can do this. Never mind if it's good or bad. So instead of, of liking a candidate for his politics or his beliefs or even his life experience, these people love Mr. Trump for who he is. He's their guy. He's their leader. Through thick and thin, they'll stick with him. Um, and I do want to point out one other thing. The other night, maybe it was last night when Mr. Trump included part of in part of his speech, he said, thank you very much for all your support. I'll never forget it. The first human thing, the first human thing that Mr. Trump has said, as far as I can remember, as president or as candidate. Okay, well, what do we got for you today on labor and love? First of all, 
California governor, the great liberal Gavin Newsom, vetoes an important return-to-work bill. What's the skinny on prop on on the California statewide elections? I'm going to read uh, a list of recommendations by a good friend of mine, a teacher, actually not a good friend, but a teacher whose uh, whose selections are always on the side of progressives and always on the side of working people. So we'll have a look at that. And what about Prop 15, the uh, people who are against it tell you that it's going to cause a panic, but the panic is only going to be caused <laughs> if you're making millions of dollars. We don't need to worry about those guys. Mr. Block comes back today working the fields in South Dakota. We got Redemption Song by Bob Marley and the Bob Marley and the Whalers. Uh, we've got Can Racism Alone Win from Fiorentini. Prop 22, Prop 15. Okay, what else have we got? Well, as you heard, we started out strong <laughs> today with strong women. We had Emmy Lou Harris with her uh, classic. I love that song. Uh, two more bottles of wine. Kind of, yeah, okay, well, things are going against me. Uh, it doesn't look good. If I think about the future, I'll get all depressed. But I still got two more bottles of wine. And then Etta James with her reminder for Mr. Trump, no matter who you are, you got to serve somebody. There's somebody greater than you or a thing greater than you that you just can't BS about. You get your way BSing. There's one thing you just can't, you have to compromise with, and that's the virus. His AIDS Meadows is still not wearing a virus, um, a mask. How smart. Radio Labor. Labor history in two minutes, remembering Woody Guthrie. Who we always remember on this show. Greatest protest songs of the 2000s was Milk. Remembering Reyes Tijerina. This is Latino Heritage in September. Oh, I just crossed the line. Uh, Latino Heritage Month. Um, the birthday of Reyes Tierrina, Reyes Lopez Tierrina, who led a uh, very effective liberation movement in New Mexico during the late 1960s.
see if we can play our Having trouble today with uh, with uh, YouTube. Hmm. Okay. All right, Reyes Tijerina, Reyes Lopez Tijerina. This is a documentary. The National Guard was called into New Mexico. And a little background here. The United States, um, at the end of the war with Mexico, the war on Mexico, insisted on humiliating terms, which the rich and powerful in Mexico were only too happy to agree with because they were worried about all those peasants with guns. Peasants were the soldiers who fought in the war on Mexico. So part of the treaty, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, was a huge, a huge um, land grant, huge section of Mexico, half of Mexico's territory, um, to be ceded to the U.S. We got 10 states in there, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, California, Texas, more and more and more. Land that's land that's uh, hugely valuable now. Um, anyway, let's listen to the documentary. I'm cutting my own world through my own day. And all I dare say is it's my own. I got my own seeds, I got my own weeds, I got my own harvest that I've sold. Now I can tell you things I've done, and I can sing you songs I've sung. But there's one thing I can't give. I years I've known and the life I've grown I got a way I'm going and it's my way sometimes it takes an explosion I get my own in my own game I got my own name and it's my way I got my own wrong I got my own right I got
Tijerina documentary. That was Beck, Be, Buff, Buffy St. Marie, My Own Way. The rights, privileges, and immunities, civil, political, and religious, granted to the people of New Mexico by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, shall be preserved inviolate. And one of those provisions was that the land grants that were given to individuals by Spain, by Mexico, or by uh, the Indian tribes shall be given full force and effect regardless of their citizenship. Sometimes it takes an explosion to bring about change. For every act of violence in the history of mankind, there has been an independence, a free. The U.S. instigated the Mexican-American War in 1846, and in 1848, Mexico and the U.S. signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in the name of God. At that time, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was a forgotten document that, that nobody knew about. So the more we dug into it, the more we found out that uh, it was for the protection of the Hispanic Mexicans in the Southwest that remained after the conquest of 1848. And in 1964, I met Ray Lopez Tijerina by uh, listening to his program on the radio, La Voz de la Justicia. I attended uh, the meetings, every meeting that, that, that he had, and they were very exciting. You know, he, had the hall full of people. Reyes Tijerina was uh, trying to generate the interest of, the, uh, of uh, the people of northern New Mexico who were the ones who had uh, this land taken from them. 
I would rather die on my feet than live a lifetime on my knees. Emilio Zapata. He got 20 men, 20 brave men, which are called uh, valientes, uh, to go and, and attack the courthouse and liberate the wise men that were put in prison, the elders. On June 5th, 1967, the Alianza attempted a citizen's arrest at the Tierra Maria courthouse. No one died in the raid, but Tijerina hid out in the mountains for three days before turning himself in to stand trial. Uh, after the courthouse raid of Tierra Maria in October, he, he makes a, an international conference, you know, and by that time he was a man of the hour, you know, he was, he was nationally and internationally known. And Martin Luther King selected Rey Lopez Tijerina as a leader of the Poor People's Campaign. Reyes has got an ability that uh, you don't find in, in a lot of people. And he had a charisma about him that uh, uh, was kind of spellbinding. I could see people who didn't understand Spanish at all. And he had the tendency to really get arm-waving and really into, the, into whatever he was speaking about. And they would be riveted on everything that he had to say, not understanding a word of what he was saying. In the War of Words of the Neo-Chicano movement, Tijerina called for our people to refer to themselves as Indo-Hispanos. Indo-Hispano stands for Indian, Spanish Indian. Uh, since we lived 300 years before the Angles came here, uh, we have much Indian blood, and we consider uh, the, the as, as mother, we consider the Indians as our mother, and Spaniards as our father. Therefore, we are, we are Indo-Hispanos. That's a full, complete name, not Chicanos. I don't like that name. Uh, uh, Chicanos was invented by, uh, by the media to denigrate us and break us away from all South America. Cut off, out, and, and and they're afraid of the name Indo-Hispano because they know that Indian and Spanish identify with that name and they don't like that. So that's why I consider since ever since I bought the laws of the Indians from Spain and read them as I used to read the Bible, and I it was there that I learned that we were Indo-Hispano. That was a, a documentary about uh, Reyes Tijerina and his movement, La Alianza. And the, the claim that people had um, on the land was very problematical for the U.S. government. And as soon as Tijerina and his little group um, raided, called the courthouse raid, raided the courthouse, 
and made a citizen's arrest on an ass assistant DA named David Sanchez. Um, all of a sudden, the, the response to Tijerina was massive. The National Guard was called out. I mean, troops with rifles and tanks and to suppress this movement among the claimants. These people had land grants that were supposedly guaranteed by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. And of course, they weren't guaranteed. You know. Mingos found a way to get around it. And, and uh, big landowners found ways to take that land. One way was, of course, was to put everything in English. And these owners, landowners, were land rich, but they didn't have a lot of cash, liquid assets. So when they were told that they had to go to the capital and they would have to hire someone to translate for them, they'd have to hire a lawyer who knew the ins and outs of the system. Guess who got rich? Lawyers. At one time, Thomas B. Catron, a lawyer in the Southwest, was owner of more property, the biggest landowner in the, in the country, was Thomas B. Catron. At any rate, Tikadina mounted this, this response, and it caught on like wildfire, as they said, all over. All over the world, Tijerina was the man of the hour. Okay, it looks like we're out of luck here on YouTube, but we do have Francesca Fiorentini. Can racism alone win Trump? No strong economy and Americans out of work and dying by the thousands from a virus he refuses to take seriously? Racism's kind of all that's left. I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and in this episode of News Broke, we're looking at how many presidential candidates have run and won simply by stoking white fear against black Americans. The difference is they weren't so gauche about it. That's because Trump is what happens when you bury the Nixon and Reagan presidencies in the pet cemetery. They come back, but different. And you know what they say. Sometimes that is better. The impeached president is struggling. The U.S. leads the world in COVID deaths thanks to his failure of leadership, and as a result, the economy is tanking. And sure, trusting the polls at this point is just playing into Nate Silver's weird math-based sex fantasies, but they aren't looking good for the president. In particular, he might be losing one key demographic. Donald Trump is now trailing in several recent polls among senior citizens. Years ago, President Trump won with senior citizens, and this year he's trailing in those polls. In Florida, the president's support among senior citizens is slipping. Yeah, Trump is losing seniors, some to Joe Biden and others to COVID-19. But Trump losing seniors in Florida? That's like Disneyland losing kids under five, or this show losing first-generation Americans in social work school. Thanks for being here. What Trump has left is what's been at the center of his presidency this entire time, 
white identity politics, stoking white Americans' fear of black and brown people. And with Black Lives Matter organizers demanding racial justice and police accountability, and then being brutalized by the police, Trump is now banking his entire re-election on it. Here's just a sampling of proof from this summer's buffet of bigotry. These people are vandals, but they're agitators, but they're really they're terrorists. There will be no more low-income housing forced into the suburbs. It's been hell for suburbia. Michael Cohen in a damning new tell-all claiming President Trump once said Hispanic voters, like black voters in his words, are too stupid to vote for him. Why are African Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people. You're probably wondering, what went wrong in this workplace interaction? Catherine Herridge asked President Trump a question that hinted at the existence of racism, and that made him uncomfortable. I wish that video wasn't relevant. Most chillingly, Trump has been sending federal officers to cities like Kenosha, Portland, and Chicago, where protesters have been disappeared into unmarked vehicles, relentlessly tear-gassed, and targeted by extremists. And right-wing commentators have justified the federal crackdown with some choice comparisons. This is going on every night that Portland looks like Baghdad. Carnage is as intense as it is in Chicago, far more than in Baghdad. Last month, gang members shot 15 people outside a funeral home in Chicago. It looked like Fallujah. Funny the whole comparing American cities to Iraqi ones, because that would make federal officers an occupying army. Which is strange, because I thought the U.S. Army loved when locals tear down statues. Remember when these same pundits said Trump would be an isolationist against foreign wars? Turns out they were right. America First wasn't just a slogan. It was a list of where to invade. America first, China second, whole country's third. And while all of this is so horrific, nothing Trump does is original. Not the campaign slogan, not sending in federal troops to quell protests, not even getting impeached for trying to get dirt on a political opponent. That was this year, people. When is time again? Many presidential hopefuls and incumbents have resorted to demonizing the black community and social movements to win elections. The term law and order, essentially loving the police real, real hard, was coined in 1964 by Republican presidential candidate Barry Goldwater. We want the brightness of examples that will inspire law and order in this land, not the darkness that encourages crime. The darkness that encourages crime? <laughs> wow, it's like he's inventing racist dog whistles before our very eyes. He's like the Chuck Berry of hating people who look like Chuck Berry. And for the zombie campaign that came out of the pet cemetery, law and order is now just a series of sporadic all caps tweets. You know, because of the worms in the brain. Richard Nixon ran and won the presidency on a law and order platform in the midst of massive social movements in 1968. You know, the year that used to hold title for most volatile that I will now refer to as Nerf 2020. Nixon took advantage of fears around black power and left-wing activists and their perceived lawlessness. Just look at this campaign ad. It is time for an honest look at the problem of order in the United States. Dissent is a necessary ingredient of change. But in a system of government that provides for peaceful change, there is no cause that justifies resort to violence. So I pledge to you, we shall have order in the United States.
Sweet mother of God, what did those sick hippies do with the rest of that mannequin's body? I told you that's what smoking grass does. Also, wait, go back. Is that Matt Leib? How is that possible? What are you talking about? It looks nothing like me. Dad? And what do you know? Some 50 years later, the zombie campaign is running ads like this. This is a taste of Biden's America. I mean, this the rioting, the crime, freedom is at stake now. And this is going to be the most important election of our lifetime. Is it Biden's America? Because that slow motion footage is actually stock footage from Spain. And also, Trump is president. So that would make this Trump's America. Trump's deliberately ratcheting up violence by sending in federal troops and encouraging vigilantism, and then claiming he's the only one who can stop it. At this point, it's not really a presidency, it's a mafia protection racket. It'd be a shame if something like Portland happened to your town. I can help with that. Nixon also called in the National Guard on thousands of DC anti-war demonstrators in the largest sweep arrest in US history, a move not unlike Trump's when he tear-gassed demonstrators outside of the White House in a stage stunt to prove he reads the Bible. Then in the 70s and 80s, another made-for-TV politician, Ronald Reagan, doubled down on Nixon's race baiting. Before his run at the White House, Reagan had built a name for himself as governor of California by sending in California's National Guard to violently put down demonstrators. This is like a rite of fascist, a rite of fascist, rite of passage. Even before his racist war on drugs and so-called welfare queens, Reagan's presidential campaign was premised on the idea that the civil rights movement had gone too far and that the real racism was against white people through things like affirmative action or fairness in hiring. Here he is in a campaign video criticizing busing to integrate public schools. The money now being wasted on this social experiment could be better spent to provide the kind of school facilities every child deserves. Facilities like brand new bathrooms that only white students can use. What? We've done that? Oh. And different, did you separate the drinking fountains? Okay, well, I'm just spitballing. And now the undead incarnation of Reagan is trying to do away with federal diversity training programs because apparently they're divisive. <laughs> George Bush Sr. in 1989 called his opponent, Democratic Governor Michael Dukakis, soft on crime in this classic and pretty horrific ad. He allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. Oof, yowza! Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Waka waka waka. <laughs> and finally, you had the Republican, who for some reason said he was a Democrat, and picked up where Reagan's welfare reform and mass incarceration left off. Clinton ran his re-election bid on the crime bill, which he signed during his first term. 100,000 more police on the streets expand the death penalty. That's how we'll protect America. No, that's how you'll lose the right to ever speak about racial justice ever again. All those presidents used race to win, but even Nixon and Reagan were a far cry from instigating violence from their supporters and then refusing to express any regret when they go on murdering sprees. And though it seems insane after all the racist rhetoric and voter suppression that Trump would even try to reach black voters, he's trying. I've done more for the black community 
than any president in the United States with the exception of Abraham Lincoln, and it's true. And even Abraham Lincoln had a black hat, but did he put the word woke on it? I don't think so. Trump may be way behind Biden when it comes to the national black vote, but he's still somehow trying to earn it. Specifically, the campaign is targeting black men in swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin. Funny, because police are targeting the exact same group. Jinx. That means Biden is going to have to do a lot more to win over black voters than simply calling Trump the first racist president. Because racism has been winning elections for decades. And now, this zombie version of white identity politics is resurrecting something we haven't seen in, say, 100, 150 years? And it's going to require an election, but so much more to rein it in. The real question is, in the year 2020, with so much hindsight into the failures of criminal justice reform and policing, and with a new civil rights movement demanding real justice, will the old political dog whistles still sway voters? Will white Americans overlook all the other failings of this president just because he's wrapping up their misconceptions of racial equality into one simplistic package, complete with an ugly hat and an unoriginal slogan? Trump's support from white men and women is still strong, but waning in the very suburbs he's trying to unbrown, which means we can all still call our white friends and relatives and ask them, has Trump actually made your life better? And if that doesn't work, ask them, hey, what's the name of your childhood pet? And what's your mother's maiden name? And then hack into their Facebook and delete their accounts. Will Trump be the hill that white America dies on? Or will we as a country finally recognize that when it comes to white supremacy, Sometimes, that is better. Hey everyone, I really hope you share this video with your fam and your people and maybe some of the people who are suffering white fragility in your life. And let me know, what are those hard conversations that you've been having with white people in your life? And what do you think we need to be doing at this moment beyond, you know, reading Angela Davis and Bell Hooks? Because, like, there's never a bad moment. News broke with Francesca Fiorentini, <clears throat> obviously before <clears throat> obviously before the news that Trump himself was infected, and it looks like a whole bunch of the people around him are infected as well, even uh, the redoubtable Kellyanne Conway. All right, let's talk about radio labor. And we got radio labor up here. The Worldwide Labor Report. This is what's going on all over the world. Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 2nd, 2020. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Labor remembers the racist killing of little black girls in the United States. Education unions prepare for World Teachers Day. The Labor Start report about union events and rapping. Yo, I've been hearing a lot of trash talk about unions, saying these ain't the friends to be choosing out for themselves, not for others. 
This is Radio Labor. As the United States heads into an election while black people are being killed by out-of-control police, the country's labor federation, the AFL-CIO, is commemorating the killing of four little girls by the Ku Klux Klan 57 years ago this month. A bomb set by white supremacists killed the girls while they were praying at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Richard Trumka, the AFL-CIO's president, spoke about the killings, racism in America, and racism in the labor movement itself. On the day the Ku Klux Klan set off the bomb, parts of the labor movement were racially segregated, including in Birmingham. The divisions and hatred that landowners and employers had been sowing since the founding of this country infected our own movement. So when the AFL-CIO fought for the passage of the Civil Rights Act, we were fighting to end discrimination and racism, not just by employers, but by our own unions, our own institutions. We were fighting to change ourselves. We believe that people can change and grow and overcome so that history can be made right. We believe that people, and we the people, don't stay in the same place forever. We can be moved forward. After all, that's why it's called a movement. America's labor movement stands with every union member and every person in this country who is demanding justice and striving for the end of racism. Some refuse to learn. Some see what's happening and resist change or outright refuse it. Worse, Some want to return to the dark past that they mythologize as great. But we cannot let them drag us back and hold us down. At this very moment, we see things in our country that we don't like, and we demand change. Our nation is in a moment of true crisis, a crisis of public health, a crisis of economic justice, and a crisis of structural racism. And beneath all three of them is the question of who gets seen and who gets heard and ultimately who lives and who dies. This is a crisis of leadership. The day after these four little girls were killed, President John F. Kennedy asked whether the bombing would finally awaken this entire nation to a realization of the folly of racial injustice and hatred and violence. Where is that voice today? Where was that voice in Charlottesville when the Nazis and white supremacists filled the streets? Where is that voice as thousands of our elders and essential workers, disproportionately people of color, are dying from coronavirus? Where is the voice of our nation's leader? At a time when we need unity, the president is using the power of the federal government to stoke violence and division. He's lying to us about the virus. He continues to block safety standards for our workers and healthcare for the unemployed. There's only one way to respond to such a catastrophic failure of leadership, and that's with solidarity. A rededication to this nation, 
to the democratic republic that is the United States of America. And that only happens with hope. Hope for our people, hope for our future, with certainty that a new day is coming for America. And it's coming because we're gonna make it so. As millions of children return to school, either virtually or in face-to-face classes, the world's teachers are now on the front lines as the pandemic continues its destructive path. That is why this year's World Teachers Day, October 5th, is so important. Education International is organizing a global online teaching so educators can share what they've learned so far and explore the problems they're facing. EI is the global union for teachers and other education workers. It has more than 32 million members in 178 countries. Susan Hopgood, a teacher from Australia, is EI's president. Each year, we celebrate World Teachers' Day on October the 5th. But this year is unlike any other because we've spent it fighting one of the biggest pandemics in modern history. And if anyone was under the illusion that leadership does not matter, this crisis has proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that having the wrong people in power can mean a death sentence for many. David Edwards, a teacher from the United States, is EI's general secretary. We are teachers. We learn and we teach. It's just what we do. And this October 5th, we are coming together for a global online teach-in to discuss the lessons of COVID-19, the lessons for us as a profession, and the lessons that we must teach the world. And there's so much we're learning. Lily Skelson Garcia is the president of the National Education Association, the NEA, in the United States. Schools provide much more than formal education. They're communities where students make friends, receive support and guidance from their teachers, and learn to live in society. They're spaces where parents can be confident their children are protected. In our schools, in our unions, and across societies, solidarity is the only way forward. It's all about being a team and beating this virus. We wear masks. We protect ourselves and each other. We work together. Mary Boosted is the Joint General Secretary of the National Education Union in the UK. We're also learning that technology can never replace in-person teaching and learning. To the disappointment of EdTech profiteers, this crisis has clearly shown that technology can only be a tool of professional tech pedagogy, not a substitute. Diane Wallacechuk is an EI board member from Canada. And we're learning that in a crisis, formal education and assessments come second. Our first duty is to make sure the basic needs of our students are met. We need to stay connected and give them a sense of normalcy, structure, and safety. We need to keep them learning without adding pressure. Standardized testing can wait. Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, in the United States. Let's not forget, public opinion is a tool that can be turned against teachers or can be used in favor of public education. Opportunistic politicians are doing their very best right now to drive a wedge between teachers and parents in the reopening of schools. 
They're trying to cast legitimate concerns over health and safety as a roadblock to their plans to reopen schools at any cost. We need to be the champions of our kids, our educators, and our communities. Marlis Chapa is from the GEW Education and Science Union in Germany. We are learning that even free technology comes at a price. We often must pay for it with our privacy. Cameras in classroom are not acceptable. Allowing student data to become a currency is not an option. When platforms are offered for free, we need to read the fine print. We need to be vigilant and defend our students' privacy. And for many poor and vulnerable students, schools is the only safe place in their lives. It's here that many receive their only meal each day, where they are safe from violence or neglect in their homes, where they feel supported and cared for. Magwena Maluleki is the General Secretary of the South African Democratic Teachers Union. In this emergency, it all came down to us, what we could do with what we had. Our governments did not have a plan, but we rose to the challenge. The value of our professional autonomy has never been clearer. Johanna Yara Astrand is an EI board member from Sweden. We're also learning that decades of progress on women's rights and equality can be reversed in a matter of weeks. Even before the pandemic, women shouldered a lion's share of unpaid work in their homes. And now, with schools closed and elderly relatives at risk of infection, women have seen their workload increase exponentially. Here again is Education International's General Secretary, David Edwards. We must learn together. For the world to learn, teachers must take the lead. So on October 5th, World Teachers Day, we are coming together from all corners of the world for the biggest global meeting of educators. We'll share our frontline lessons, hear from leading experts, strategize and organize to make sure the world that emerges from this crisis is better and more fair than before. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Starts volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the strike against pandemic-inspired concessions at a Colombian coal mine, how unions in Azerbaijan and Armenia are cooperating to call on their governments to end the conflict between those two countries, and a brutal attack on a union leader in Guatemala. This week, the emerging trends in our news coverage include more signs that in much of the world, COVID-19 is not only into its second wave, but that governments and employers are attempting to press the advantages it gives them in undermining labor rights. Globally, the number of strikes by healthcare workers is high and continues to hold steady. In every case, the issue is COVID-19 related, either a shortage of personal protective equipment or a shortage of workers or even wage theft by employers. Wage theft is endemic with for-profit employers in the global south. Not just healthcare employers either, as the pending Mumbai airport walkout shows. Their workers have not been paid for months. Again, the pandemic is the excuse. 
On all of these themes, check out our Pandemic Union News page for details. For our Working Women pages, our volunteers found news of the working-class content in Canada's Women's History Month, the pandemic-induced rise in sexual harassment in South African workplaces, and the growing hashtag MeToo movement in the Danish media industry. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories about how in a number of countries the privatization of the response to the pandemic is endangering the safety of healthcare workers as profits start to take precedence over people. We also covered the deaths of two food delivery workers in Australia and how women media workers in Pakistan are organizing against online harassment. Our current photo of the week is of an Iranian athlete and world players member executed after a so-called confession he made after being tortured. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with Ukrainian miners who have taken to an underground occupation in an effort to win a safer workplace. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Luke Roderick with Solidarity. Yo, I've been hearing a lot of trash talk about unions Saying these ain't the friends to be choosing Out for themselves, not for others You might have heard unions ain't good for your health, brother Well, let me spit it for you, got something to say It's because of unions, we gotta aid our work day This ain't no commercial break, my friend Unions are the peeps who brought you the weekend Probably never think about it, la di da Unions fought hard for your right to party they're out there to ease your tension With decent wages, health care, and pensions Now it's like unions blamed for bad weather But tell me what's wrong with solidarity forever I want to shout it on high and get it off my chest The story here is fighting for those who have less So when unions are bad guys in the propaganda war Think what they've done, where they stand, who they fight for And that's it, international labor news you can use Thank you for listening And remember, it's all about global solidarity labor um, with their world labor report as they present to you every well every week huh? take a little break here I'm going on my morning break see you in a little bit on the other side get up stretch a little Every day is Labor Day. Huh? It's from Ken Burns' Jazz Collection.
Something, some comment there in Radio Labor reminded me of uh, the anniversary of the four little girls who were bombed as if they were the enemy. Four little girls. I guess they were somebody's enemy, huh? Freedom 
the choir kept singing of freedom. If clouds they were dark and the autumn wind singing of freedom the church it was crowded and no one could see that Cynthia Wellesley's dark number was three her prayers and her feelings would shame you and me and the choir singing of freedom Young Carol Robertson entered the door and the number her killers had given was four She asked for a blessing but asked for no more and the choir kept singing of freedom on Birmingham Sunday and noise shook the ground and people all over the earth turned around for no one recalled a more cowardly sound and the choir kept singing of freedom The men in the forest they once asked of me How many blackberries grow in the blue sea I asked them right back with a tear in my eye How many Sunday has gone and I can't do much more than to sing you a song I'll sing it so softly do no one wrong and the choir keeps singing of freedom In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye 
The earth that fed me in California was turning cracked and dry. New Zealand ferns are always green, it rains more there than it should. I looked to the cloud that was raining on me and said, go where you can do some good. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. Don't wanna see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't wanna see her die.
was uh, <coughs> Milk, uh, <coughs> a.k.a. Connie Lim, with her protest song, feminist protest song, I Can't Keep Quiet, reflecting on her life, facing abuse, physical and sexual abuse. Before that, we had um, Brother Charlie Morgan with his uh, song about California. And California was undergoing the prelude to what we're undergoing now. The prelude is, prelude is dryness. He's singing about a time in the 70s when it was very dry for several years. That, of course, made the ensuing fires much more volatile and much uh, more easily spread. And before that, we had Joan Baez uh, singing Birmingham Sunday. Now, normally you'd say it's obscene to make a song, like a Joan Baez song, where she's got this beautiful wailing voice out of a tragedy like that. But what she did was she went to the very heart of it and she expressed her humanity and the humanity that we should all be feeling when things like this happen. Finally this year, white America rose up and saying, uh-uh, no, you're not going to torture a guy right in front of all of us and then kill him. And we're, we're going to stand there and take it? No, it's not going to happen. Okay, let's start. Let's talk a little uh, labor politics, okay? This one is on CNN Business, and it's talking about a bill that Mr. Uh, Gavin Newsom vetoed that would have allowed, required employers to give their workers uh, back their jobs. Listen up. Or I'm at the top of the roller coaster with no harness, and they're telling me, I'll keep the ride going. There's no hiding Cat Payne's reality. Mornings are very different with Atreyu. So you know we always go over our finances and stuff uh, in the mornings. Um, we're going into our fourth month of not paying our mortgage. Payne, a veteran housekeeper at the Marriott downtown Philadelphia, has been furloughed since March. We are extending your layoff. She's out of work at not one, but two jobs. Her part-time job as a bartender is also on hold. As a single parent, unemployment is not enough to cover her bills. She's nearly drained her retirement account. This isn't just a death sentence economically. This is a death sentence physically because if one of us catches the coronavirus, either one of us can die. And as the breadwinner, I'm nervous. Hotel occupancy is nearly 50% nationwide. In Philadelphia, it's only 27%. Last April, Philadelphia County had 77,000 hospitality jobs. More than half were lost during the pandemic and recovery is slow. It's just a bleak scenario. 
Michael Roberts is the general manager at Pod Hotel, temporarily closed, and Windsor Suites, which furloughed half its staff. I have had to have those conversations, and those are the things that stick with you. In Philadelphia, the slow winter months at hotels are kept afloat by conventions. This year, all are canceled. 74% of U.S. hotels say more layoffs are coming if they don't get additional federal aid. Is there an opportunity for you to return to work? I absolutely have no idea, and I wish that I did. Lisa Palmer's hotel is shuttered indefinitely. She fed hotel guests as a cook for five years as a single mom, working long hours to provide for her five-year-old daughter. She was just months away from getting her pension when she got furloughed. That got ripped from me. And I have no idea of if I'll be able to get that time back to be able to secure my pension. More than 70% of hotel workers in Philadelphia are people of color. Nationally, black unemployment is nearly twice as high as white workers. The government throwing in there that um, unemployment or assistance is keeping people from going out and going back to work or getting jobs. How about there are no jobs? How about every job in my field is shut down or restricted? It's going to have to rough it. That's where we're at right now. The pains have roughed it once before, when the family was homeless for two years. A roof over their heads means everything. My biggest worry right now is securing home, securing shelter. And if we have to be cold or no water, I can deal with that. I've been through that. But we need a house. The final jobs report before Election Day is. California Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed a bill that supporters say might have guaranteed many workers laid off because of the pandemic the right to get their jobs back once economic conditions improve, citing too high a burden on struggling employers. The legislation, which had passed overwhelmingly in the Democratic-controlled state legislature, required that employers in certain industries, hotels, private clubs, Airports or who provide building services to commercial buildings would have, <coughs> would have to rehire laid-off workers when they decided it was time to increase their workforce once again. Newsom said the legislation would impose too great a burden on employers. He says, I recognize the real the problem to ensure that workers who have been laid off due to the virus have certainty about their rehiring and job security. The bill would place an onerous burden on employers navigating these tough challenges. Of course, business, troops, business groups loved it. It would have Delayed the rehires, says the Chamber of Commerce. I don't know where they get that. 
the governor chose not to further burden these industries. But unions in the state attacked the veto as a blow to many of the state's most vulnerable workers. This veto is devastating to the low-wage workers who built the hospitality industry, especially women of color. Said California Union Unite Here. Union's statement included a comment from Maria Sanchez, a laid-off worker who works for a concession company at the An Anaheim Convention Center. What am I going to do? Without the job I've depended on for so long, am I supposed to beg my boss not to replace me? <sighs> the issues in California are reflective of the challenge of the American labor market faces at large. See, it's up to the your employer if you survive employer has that right over you of life and death under capitalism. Well, why don't I, why don't I have a job? Well, because um, nobody, you can't make money for anybody. How about Prop 15? Let's talk about some of the propositions now. Uh, we don't need Francesca anymore, do we? Okay, Prop 15, Mr. Fred Glass. Oh, yeah, here. I referred earlier to a guy named Jeremiah Jeffries, who's a colleague and a um, fellow teacher in the teachers' union. Um, met him before I retired. And every month, he, every year, election year, he puts together a list of his recommendations. And his is a voice I really trust in terms of progressive, labor-based union belief. And here's how he starts. Prop 14 on the state propositions. Bond to fund stem cell research to the tune of $260 million per year for 30 years. It's too costly for too little gain, he says, in an industry without sufficient regulation to benefit the public and drain on resources that should be going to secure our health and education safety net. So he's arguing that, uh, yeah, this is an idea, but it's kind of a special project where what we need is basic health care, state-based health care. Fifteen, we'll talk about that one later. Sixteen, address inequality in our public institutions. Allow public institutions to address race and inequality directly funding priorities, jobs, and programming while opening up our opportunities for women and people of color. He says, vote yes. 17, restores voting rights to civilians who've been incarcerated and are out on parole. Yes on that one. 
early age voting narrowly lowers the voting age to permit 17-year-olds to vote in special and primary elections if they will be 18 by the general election. Um, pardon me. Real estate transfer rules, real estate scheme for people with property to help their descendants and avoid paying taxes. Hmm. Changes the tax code to privilege homeowners who pass their wealth on to their children while allowing them to avoid paying their local taxes for new homes and allows them to find more expensive homes at the same tax rate. Also, in the case of natural disasters, allows them to relocate out of their municipality even after benefiting from local tax. No on that one. 20 new penalties and over-incarceration. Fake tough-on-crime measure is just creates more mass incarceration by extending sentences and making more serious crime based on material possession. 21, rent control expands the authority of local governments to enact measure of rent control and vacancy control. There are a lot of places in the country now where state legislatures have declared that municipalities have no right to in, uh, institute rent control. 22, we'll talk about. No, this is dialysis clinics again. This measure creates unnecessary barriers to providing the service. While the industry needs more regulation, this proposition does not put patients at the patients at the center. And you know this is a very strong industry. Uh, these people beat a uh, Similar, a similar uh, measure last year by uh, raising the scare tactics, saying that dialysis patients, dialysis clinics would be forced to close if they had to undergo this regulation. And finally, cash bail eliminates and reforms our highly inequitable cash bail system and makes it clear that public safety and flight risk should be the only criteria used to determine if a subject should remain in custody. 
money. All right. Now that's Jeremiah Johnson. I had an idea for the world's greatest scheme. We're rolling down the road to the great big moon. I won't forget it this time. Here's the best explanation I've heard about Prop 15. What is Prop 15, and why is it so important? Prop 15, also known as the Schools and Communities First Act, is a statewide measure on the November ballot in California to fund K-12 public schools and community colleges, as well as local public services like parks, libraries, homeless services, health clinics, and public transit. How? by closing a tax loophole that has given away billions of dollars a year to large commercial property owners and wealthy investors. To better understand how Prop 15 works, we have to take a look at a famous piece of California legislation from 1978 called Proposition 13. Prop 13 set tax rates at 1% of a property's sale price and capped annual increases at no more than 2%. Then it required future tax hikes of any form to pass the state legislature by a two-thirds vote. Prop 13 essentially froze all property taxes, both in terms of rate and how property is valued in the first place. Prop 13 was sold to the public as a way of limiting taxes for older homeowners on fixed incomes. What proponents didn't say? The same provisions helping families afford their homes also applied to large commercial properties. Disney, Chevron, Apple, and many other corporations pay taxes based on what their properties were worth decades ago, essentially stealing from school children and people in need of public services to line their own pockets. For example, Disney bought Golden Oaks Ranch in 1959. The 315-acre property outside the San Fernando Valley cost them $300,000 at the time. Today, that property is easily worth at least tens of millions of dollars, if not way more. But Disney only pays property taxes based on a valuation that's frozen in 1975. Disney is getting a giant tax break on the backs of the working class. Before Prop 13, California public schools were ranked among the best in the country, and its per-student spending was consistently in the top 10. Public education was funded in large part by property taxes from the wealthy. After Prop 13, our school system's funding was decimated. Now, California's per-student spending is ranked at 37th. The Prop 13 campaign demonized renters, welfare recipients, and public employees, and the resulting effects of its passage have had a disproportionate impact on communities of color who rely on public schools. So how would Prop 15 help? Prop 15 would close the corporate property tax loophole in Prop 13 and redistribute some of the wealth of the capitalist class back to the multiracial working class majority. 92% of the revenue from Prop 15 will come from just 10% of commercial property owners. Corporations that own commercial property with assessed value over $3 million would pay taxes based on market value rather than purchase price. It exempts all residential and agricultural properties, as well as any commercial properties valued at less than $3 million. If Prop 15 passes, it would put between $10 and $12 billion back into public schools and services. So this November, be sure to vote yes on Prop 15. It's time we put schools and communities first.
Okay, that's the uh, that's an evaluation of Prop 13. It's not about raising taxes on homeowners. It's not even about raising taxes on farmers. It's about raising taxes on people who have properties that are worth more than $3 million. So please, when you talk to your friends or whoever you talk to, Tell them about it. Here's Bob Marley. No, no, we're not going to get Bob. Our YouTube's not working today, probably because of uh, an ad blocker. Okay, let's move to Prop 22 now. This is another one that affects working people. And uh, it's kind of a trick by Uber and Lyft. Uber, Lyft, Instacart, and DoorDash wrote Prop 22 to create a special exemption for themselves from California law that requires app-based companies to provide basic protections to their workers. In other words, give them some benefits that are required by law if you're talking about employees. Wow. Now they're spending more than $180 million on Prop 22, the most expensive ballot measure in U.S. history, to boost their profits by denying their right drivers right to a minimum wage, paid sick leave, and safety protection. So drivers would no longer have that right. Uber, Lyft, Instacart, and DoorDash paid to put Prop 22 on the ballot. They hired lawyers to write a misleading initiative and paid political operatives millions to collect the voter signatures they needed. Prop 22 is a carve-out law that allows Uber and, and app companies to deny their drivers rights. Prop 22 exempts these corporations from contributing to safety net programs we all need, like Social Security, Medicare, and unemployment insurance. It eliminates safety regulations, protections for riders and drivers, and any liability these wealthy companies have to consume consumers. Anyway, check it out. That's uh, Prop 22, and it directly affects a lot of workers. What do we got left here? I wanted to play the Zorba dance, but we can't. Let's listen to this blurb about uh, the great Woody Guthrie. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1967. That was the day that the Dust Bowl troubadour, Woody Guthrie, died. Over the course of his life, Woody Guthrie wrote almost 3,000 songs. 
He was one of the thousands of people who took to the road during the Great Depression, swept into wandering by the winds that churned the Dust Bowl. In an interview with NPR, fellow folk music legend Pete Seeger described Guthrie's influence, saying, quote, We all read about music being part of people's lives, but I hadn't seen it in action until I met him. The words that came out of his mouth and the music he made all flowed together with the life that he led, and I was greatly attracted to it and kind of tagged along with him for several months. Woody showed me how to hitchhike and how to ride the freight trains, how to sing in saloons. A 2013 article in Paste magazine summarized Guthrie's legacy, writing, No artist has ever expressed a deeper will to fight against oppression and the rights of the little guy than Woody Guthrie. Iconic author John Steinbeck wrote this vivid description of Guthrie, harsh-voiced and nasal, his guitar hanging like a tire on a rusty rim. There is nothing sweet about Woody, and there is nothing sweet about the songs he sings. But there is something more important for those those who will listen. There is the will of a people to endure and fight against oppression. I think we call this the American spirit. This land is your land, and this land is my land. California to the New York Island, and the Redwood Forest, and the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Okay, well, we're looking at uh, a 12 o'clock hour coming up when you will be entertain by the musical awareness of my buddy Scott O'Walker and his flat black plastic show. In the meantime, remember if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. That's how capitalism works. That's why when you're out of work, your survival is at stake. Here we go. Come round by my side, and I'll sing you a song. I'll sing it so softly, it'll do no one wrong. On Birmingham Sunday, the blood ran like wine. You're on the Never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend or believer. That cold autumn morning, no eyes saw the sun. And Maddie May Collins, her number was one. In an old Baptist church, there was no need to run. And the choir singing of freedom the clouds they were dark and the autumn wind blew and Denise McNair brought the number to two the falcon of death was a creature they
on a raft without a pattern. FM. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Are the end times upon us? Not yet, my friends. Please, this is an impassioned plea from Pam Benjamin, the director of Mutiny Radio. Let us live past October. You think it's a joke? COVID is decimating all of us, and especially us here at Mutiny Radio. We have money left until October 1st. Don't let anyone sing, despite of their size. 
please, please go donate to our GoFundMe. Go to mutinyradio.fm and click that GoFundMe button. Or just go to Venmo. Mutiny Radio, all one word. Just Mutiny Radio. Give us five bucks. Help us keep free speech and radical self-expression real and alive here in San Francisco and all over the world. Please donate to our Mutiny Radio. Go fund me and keep us alive in 2020 and beyond. Don't let our world end. I am Italian, and we brought you Fasciousness with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. Hey you, poetry reader, this is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay, we also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let the poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch
Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and a 